Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Eli James and Michael Swede from Sweden, of course. Uh, Today is November 6, 2022, and uh, we have a couple of quick announcements before we get into the Nameless War. I posted the link for Nameless War in the chat room and also posted a link for the new legislation in America, namely that... No longer will we have a switcheroo in the fall and the spring between daylight savings times and normal time. But before I get into that, welcome, Michael. Thank you very much. It was yeah. some time ago now since we did, did the show. So yeah. I've seen reach some, some uh, places also in the nameless war in this book. Yes. And then, yeah, and time is uh, speeding up, I believe, and we see uh, biblical prophecies fulfilled, especially with those... Uh, uh, would they say vaccines, yibiabs, they put in arms that are the mark of the 666? I believe it is. Oh, yeah, for sure. That, that, that is the mark of the beast. For for sure. So, anyway, the link I put in the chat room, actually, I have to click, click on it because uh, I lost it in my, uh, in, in my searches here. But uh, it says here, is day, daylight saving time permanently staying? U.S. Senate approved Sunshine Protection Act. <laughs> oh, we have to protect sunshine, right? What a ridiculous name! You know, I would say I would say ending the insanity of daylight saving time, right? Or switching back and forth. And it, it says here, Marco Rubio, Americans may soon be able to skip the semi-annual switching of clocks. And you can thank Senator Marco Rubio, Republican Florida, for the nudge. The U.S. Senate unanimously approved legislation Tuesday that would make daylight saving time permanent across the country starting in 2023. So it starts uh, whatever date uh, that is. Uh, What's the date? Anyway, I think it's in March. So that uh, we'll never have to make the switcheroo ever again. The bill called the Sunshine Protection Act was first introduced on January 2021 and reintroduced by Rubio and seven other bipartisan members of Congress last March. Rubio brought the bill up Tuesday under unanimous consent, etc., etc. So we'll never have to, uh, so the next time we do it, we'll switch back to daylight saving times in March of 2023 and we'll never have to switch back ever again. Hooray! I've been demanding this, <laughs> asking for this, praying for this for years. So, folks, we're, we're finally over that business. Yeah, it just messes everybody's schedules up, right? How, how many t- – yeah, who's saving what? <laughs> right? Who is saving what? So, uh, does uh, your country or Europe do this at all, Michael? Yeah, we have those both back and forward. So, now we have gone – Lately, backward, and then it would be forward again. So yes, still those are those. Um, yeah, we switching those hours still. I haven't. Yeah, how do you have? They have has the same debate also. I seen in Sweden about those daylight saving times if they are still necessary. Yeah. So I've seen they have the same. They have had the same debates here also, but I have not followed it so truly, and I don't know the. But we still do it. We haven't changed it. Oh, okay. So uh, I'll still have to warn you, or you have to warn me, right, when your country changes from one time zone to the other. Yeah, let's meet in the middle, right? But folks, uh, you know, 
it would have been, it would be nice if all the world were consistent about this, but every, you know, Britain has a different uh, switch date. Your country has a different switch date. Of course, our country has a different switch date. It's amazing that uh, we can stay uh, locked in to get this show started at the correct time, right? So, but, uh, from uh, March 2023, we'll finally switch back to daylight saving times permanently and no more switcheroo back and forth from then on. I hope other countries do the same. It's just a ridiculous thing to do. All right. So uh, getting getting that out of the way. Also, uh, we were in Chapter 8 of The Nameless War last week, and toward the end, we were talking about how the British were the ones who started saturation bombing of civilian targets. And also, in in that connection, when Hitler let the British troops go at Dunkirk, I I was interested in the timing of of those two events, because if the saturation bombing by the British had started before Dunkirk, it was, a, it was a bad enough move by Hitler to let them go. And that date was June 4th, 1940. He should have captured those troops and used them as, as you know, what do you call it? Uh, he should have captured them and used them as treaty bait to make the force the British into some kind of agreement with Germany. But no, he just let them go. And according to the book that we're talking about today, let me find it here. It, uh, it's my, uh, my link is called Untitled. <laughs> so let me, it's, it doesn't say Nameless War. I'm going to back up really quickly here into chapter eight that where he, his generals, had had thought that Hitler had gone crazy. And his explanation was that he didn't want to have war with Britain because he considered Britain to be you know, a, a shining light of civilization. Uh, perhaps Hitler wasn't aware of all of the skullduggery that Britain had done to the world, to India, to China, to South Africa, to America, Maybe he wasn't familiar with all of that horrible history that the British did under the rule of the Rothschilds and other Jews. Uh, but I, I found it hard to believe that you know he he did this and let the British soldiers go without any kind of conditions, which I think is probably the biggest mistake uh, Hitler ever made. In any case, the Germans. German people finally paid for it because saturation bombing in Germany by the British began on 3 March 1942. So that was a huge mistake, and a lot of people think Hitler uh, either was crazy or was even possibly a uh, a Jew (laughs) for making such a horrible decision. But also... The Soviets had started civilian bombing even earlier. I didn't look the date up for that. So that is a really poor decision by Adolf Hitler. Uh, he never should have done that. He should have done something else, like capturing those troops and using them as treaty bait. <coughs> Excuse me. But uh, who, who knows that 
you know, you can't make a treaty with Jews. Did he not realize that the British Empire was totally run by Jews? And what are your thoughts on that, Michael? Yes, you, my thoughts, as you said, I think uh, I know that he has been criticized for not uh, not um, capturing not them, or, yeah, yeah, not capturing them, not doing anything else, let them go. But and then, uh, the, as you said, a bigger contact. What he did in he did he did from the beginning. He didn't want to have war with, um, with Britain, yes, with, uh, Britain. Britain at all. So the war, the war, I believe, it was forced upon Germany. So this was, so he tried yes. with a, what is say, a good deed, but he was rewarded <laughs> by, yeah. Yeah, no, say, stab no, in the back. no good deed goes unpunished when it comes to the Jews, right? And there's a hard lesson for our people to learn. Very hard lesson. So, uh, we should never make any mistake. You never can never trust any country that's run by Jews, okay? Never, absolutely never. And so Hitler paid the price and Germany paid the price. So, and now, of course, they're trying to do the same thing. They're trying to start World War III. They actually have started it. They started it with COVID. And now we have this fiasco in Ukraine, which may lead to a full-out World War III. And we have to keep stressing the, the fact, folk, that our people should never again go to war against each other. And I'm talking about white people, the white nations of the world. And that's exactly what's happening between Russia and Ukraine right now. And so uh, we should always argue against escalating this war. It's not going to do Russia any good. It's not going to do us any good. And right now, because of the bombing of the uh, Nord Stream pipeline, the flow of energy for Germany has been tremendously reduced, and Germany and Europe are going to be experiencing a really cold winter. What are your thoughts on that, Michael? Uh, yes, this is, as you say, and this I, I, I looked on, I think I was looking on um, this, uh, what was this? And Brother Nathaniel, he, he came out and said that uh, um, this was conducted by the British in uh, and then in, uh, with the help of, um, among other, the Swedish Navy to do this, this terrorist, um, they call, he call it a terrorist attack, and I believe it is, to, to attacking this, uh, uh, this pipeline, because now, as you say, now it will be uh, prices of gas, and of course, of energy here in Europe has soared tremendously. And in Sweden, for example, the more south you are, the more expensive the, the um, electricity is, and, and it's the best I would understand is up in the north. There we have some. There we have some water generating uh, ah. electricity plants. But the prices on electricity has skyrocketed, and uh, so this is also um, this month from the communists that you will be grind between um, inflation and taxation. And this is a way to in, to to inflate away the way I say to by inflation to get rid of our our savings, our our yeah, to make us dependent on them. So yeah. yeah, the prices on energy and it will be it will be shown. I mean, Germany, of course. I mean, this pipeline also. Uh, they had um, during when they built it, they wanted to have a. Uh, I don't know what they, they wanted to use Gotland, the Swedish uh, island Gotland, when they did this, and then Sweden, of course, opposed that. But that is because um, Sweden is 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 very is a puppet under yeah on that's all nations are under the under the Rothschilds, of course. Yes, uh, but I guess also now Germany is, uh, and all of Europe will be dependent upon uh, your the energy from 
from from America, but it's not from your people, of course. It is from from the same same people, the Rothschilds, bankers that runs uh, America, the Jewish elite that runs all the nations of the world. Right, right. Uh, so Swamp Fox says, only one more time of this clock-changing nonsense to go. Unfortunately, there's all kinds of other nonsense that we have to deal with from our rhinocrat Republicans and Democrats that r- run this country. And every, I, I don't think there's a country in the world that is free of Rothschild interference in their internal affairs. And of course, with the UN and NATO, uh, they're trying to kill us. That's the bottom line. They're trying to kill as many white people as possible, just as they did with our American Civil War. The Rothschilds financed both sides of that war and killed 600,000 Americans as a result of that staged war. It was an absolutely staged war by the Jews, and they you know, virtually destroyed our country. Uh, we're still here. <laughs> I think we got one foot in the grave, but we're still here. So uh, we have to fight. We, our people just have to wake up to the Jewish question and never fall for these Jewish tricks ever again. Yeah, your your comment. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is the because all wars since the um, yeah since the formation of the Bank of England has been only bankers' wars to to prolong Jewish um, Jewish uh, ends, I believe. Yes, yes. So they have <laughs> they have scrambled our people in all of these different wars however the one the one thing i see is because they are they have what's the term they have spread themselves out too thin with all of the uh, money going towards armaments towards military uh, you know military enterprises towards covid they're, they're spending money like uh, it's you know, creating money and spending it like there's no tomorrow, which is their attitude, right? And the Bible says the devil knows his time is short. <laughs> so he's, while his time is short, he's, he's making all kinds of mistakes. And uh, it's just a question of time before people start catching on that the Rothschilds, the UN and NATO are the real problem in the world and not, uh, not nationalism. Right, that's a, you know, obviously the left wingers will never get this because they th- they have been brainwashed to believe that nationalism is a problem. No, it's Jewish deceit, Jewish control of nations, mystery Babylon is the real problem, and we just have to hammer this home time and time again to get people to finally understand what the real problem is. Okay, so and that's what this book, The Nameless War, is about. It's about showing how. All revolutions and major wars since uh, since the Napoleonic Wars have been staged by the Rothschilds and other Jews. Okay, so let's pick it up here on chapter nine, and uh, we'll just uh, switch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doag the Edomite, thank you, brother Amer. Yeah, they're scrambling our eggs, right? <laughs> the, the whites of our eggs are being scrambled by the international Jew. So. Okay, let's get to it. Uh, let's uh, just alternate pages here. And you know, if, okay. a, if a paragraph uh, goes into another page, just finish that next page and we'll do it that way. All right, over to you, Michael. Let's go. Okay. Thank you. Yep. So, chapter nine, the shape of things to come. If the newfound knowledge of Hitler's annexed to preserve the British Empire has come 
as a surprise recently to many people in this country. It must surely have come as a real shock to them to learn that President Roosevelt, on the other hand, was its in, um, intervened enemy. Yeah, and veteran, it, 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 let me just kind of explain for people who uh, didn't hear last week's show, or you know, it's been a whole week. So Hitler was trying to prevent war with the British, but Roosevelt was inciting war between Germany and the British. Of course, and we all know that his tactic was to get Japan involved in World War II because Japan was Germany's ally, and if he could get Japan to declare war against America, then he would have the excuse to bomb Germany as well. Okay, so that's what he's trying to say here. Back to you. Yeah, uh, that he was not only a proved communist of Jewish origin, but that before he brought America into the war, he made it clear that he wished to break up the British Empire. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Um, his son, uh, Colonel Elliot Roosevelt, makes this last point very clear in his book, as he saw it, recently published in the USA. On page 19 to 28 of this book, uh, Colonel Roosevelt tells us that in August 1941, his father having given out to the American people that he was going off on a fishing trip, actually proceeding to a meeting with Mr. Churchill on board um, a warship in uh, Argentina Bay. Lord Riverbrook, Sir Edward uh, uh, Cadogan and Lord... uh, um, Sherwell, Professor Lindemann of doubtful race and nationality, <laughs> and Mr. Avril Harriman were presented, uh, present, he says. On page 35, he quotes his father as saying, quote, After the war, there will have to be the greatest possible freedom of trade, no artificial barriers, end of quote. Mr. Churchill referred to the British Empire trade agreements, and Mr. Roosevelt replied, quote, Yes, those empire trade agreements are a case in point. It's because of them that the people of India, Africa, and of all the uh, colonial Near East are still as backward as they are. I can't believe that we can fight a war against uh, Farsi slavery and at the same time not work um, to free people um, all over the world from the backward colonial policy. End of quote. End quote. Uh, the peace, end quote, said Father uh, firmly, quote, cannot include any um, continued depotism. Okay. All right, so he's referring to uh, to Roosevelt as father. <laughs> right. Okay. This requires analysis. What was Roosevelt's true motivation in insisting that British colonialism be broken up? And I think... The reason for it is because the Rothschilds wanted to end white colonialism all over the place, right? And not just British, uh, but uh, you know, not just French and German and Spanish colonialism, Italian colonialism. They wanted to end it all because they wanted to use white people's tax money to finance Africa, Right? That was the plan. That was the change in plan. Churchill was not apprised of this change in plan, right? But Roosevelt being part Jewish, but so was Churchill. Uh, Churchill's mother was the American Jewess, Jenny Jerome, 
But Churchill wanted to maintain the British Empire, but the international Jew had different plans, and Churchill was not apprised of these plans. So Churchill was extremely disappointed by the, the results. Okay, so that's that's my analysis of uh, you know the the Jewish plan, and they were done with Britain. Britain was after World War Two. Britain was no longer a major military power, and its economy was in shambles, right? Because the Jews had used it up. <laughs> As the Bible says, the Jews will wear out the saints, and they have worn Britain out. They're wearing out America right now. They're wearing out Europe, and all the saints of, of Yahweh's people Israel are really uh, reeling with all of the 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 threats and uh, military might and uh, what do you call it? medical problems that we have they're throwing everything at us they're throwing everything they have at us and we just have to resist and stay strong and fight to the bitter end that's all we can do right now because the Jews control the world economy and they control American uh, military British military uh, German military right although I think Germany at this point in time because of the Nord Stream disaster, is beginning to wonder what the hell is going on. Uh, can we still stay in NATO? And everybody knows that uh, the so-called Americans uh, are, are blamed to that Nord Stream explosion. Why are the Americans sabotaging our energy supply has got to be the big question on the German people's minds right now. What are your thoughts there, Michael? Yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> take, it, take, it, uh, take it one more time because I – Yeah, 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 because uh, the Germans have to suspect that America – under Biden, that Biden, not America, the the, the Jews and their uh, puppet Biden are the ones behind the Nord Stream explosions, thus thus cutting off German yeah. uh, energy supplies. What what do you think the Germans? It's got to be, it's got to be really rankling the Germans that this happened. Yeah, and I don't, and I don't know how many Germans they'll realize that um, that uh, who who really did this. I don't know how they. How the Germans view it, to be honest, I have no. Yeah, but okay. If they realize that, then I think they would be. Um, that will at least make them suspicious. Of why is it this? Don't um, because um, I believe because Russia wouldn't have done it. That they understand. No, I think right. They understand because that was in their interest to have the pipeline there. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because the Russians were selling uh, gas to Germany and other countries with that pipeline. Why would they cut their own throats, right? So uh, that, that makes no sense. Although, But the interesting thing, too, is there's very little talk in mainstream media. When it first happened, there was lots of talk, and they were trying to blame Russia for blowing up its own pipeline, right? <laughs> right? Makes no sense at all. And no. uh, but, but everybody figured out, well, Biden had pr- stated like six months previously that we can blow up that pipeline whenever we choose. This was six months before it happened, right? And so uh, all arrows are pointing at Biden and uh, the Jews who control America. There's no, simply no doubt about that. So, yeah, uh, I agree. If Germany ever realizes and comes to the idea that David stabbed in the back 
by the UN, by NATO, etc., there may be a change in the political climate of Europe. And watch out, if the Germans get angry, <laughs> if the Germans get angry, then there may be real problems there. Okay? Right. Yeah, right now, yeah, Bavarian man says, uh, Germany starts to see the situation but do not w- know what to do right now. Okay? And, uh, well, what they can do is leave NATO. Leave the UN. That's all they have to do. If they do that, then NATO and the UN, NATO certainly is finished if the Germans do that. And the UN will be limping along. Okay? So uh, I think the Rothschilds have bitten off more than they can chew and they're shooting themselves in the foot. You know, we can, we can watch because the Bible says that Bab- Mystery Babylon will burn. Okay? If there's any energy left for the burning, right? But we know there's other sources of, of flame. Uh, Obadiah says, Joseph shall be a flame, Judah a fire, and, and Esau will be stubble. So we know that's coming, and this Nord Stream explosion may be actually the spark that sets this uh, alight. But let's get back to our document here. Again, this is the Nameless War, and I'll pick it up on the next page here. This insolent talk against the British Empire became so pronounced that on page 31, Colonel Roosevelt reports Mr. Churchill as saying, quote, Mr. President, I believe you are trying to do away with the British Empire, unquote. This comment was very near the mark, as the President had been talking about India, Burma, Egypt, Palestine, Indochina, Indonesia, and all the African colonies having to be, quote-unquote, freed. Really? You, you know that, that Roosevelt had a sinister plan in mind, not just, you know, the, the talk of liberating these countries from British colonialism was certainly, you know, empty talk, right? There was a, a hidden agenda here. On page 115, the colonel reports his father as saying, quote, don't think for a moment, Elliot, that Americans would be dying in the Pacific tonight if it hadn't been for the short-sighted greed of the French, the British, and the Dutch. Shall we allow them to do it all over again, (laughs) right? Uh, No, there was a hidden agenda here. These were not all the reasons, however, given for the war and for which Americans thought they were dying, nor indeed does the president make any reference as to the pretext given to his countrymen for the war. Of course, Roosevelt dragged the war, dragged us into the war by, you know, uh, actually there's a similarity here by cutting off Japan's supply of oil so that they would not be able to heat their homes, right? Uh, run their automobiles and, uh, and their battleships, right? So that, that was an act of war. When Roosevelt cut off Japan's energy supply, that was an act of war, and the Japanese correctly saw that as an act of war. But they took the bait and attacked Pearl Harbor. They, they should not have taken the bait. They should have tried doing something else, right? But they took the bait and attacked Pearl Harbor. So is that how you see that, Michael? Yeah, and now thinking about what was the idea with this pipeline is to make Germany to, to take the bait and try to attack Russia. Right, that's exactly right. So far they have not done so. 
so far NATO hasn't done so because what can NATO do without Germany? Right? Yeah. It's it's mainly Germany. Yes. Yeah. So that was a gamble that Rothschilds took unless, I mean, there's an outside chance that the pipeline was sabotaged by somebody else in order to provoke Germany, right? (laughs) In order to destroy the alliance of NATO. But, you know, that's too far-fetched. Who would have had the ability to do that? Right, some uh, some snorkeling, <laughs> some snorkeling, uh, a guy under the water, you know, uh, some independent sabotage. I don't think so. No, it was definitely done by the international Jew using Biden. Okay, that's that's the only possibility in my view. So let's continue. So uh, the British dying in greater numbers. Uh, have, on the contrary, been told that they are dying to defend their empire from Hitler's wicked plans. Little do they suspect that it is their so-called ally who plans its destruction. Quote, when we've won the war, the president is reported as saying on page 116, quote, I will see that the USA is not wheedled into any plan that will aid or abet the British empire in its imperialist ambitions, unquote. All right, none of this has been reported to the American people in the controlled press, right? So have you ever heard of this conversation between Roosevelt and Churchill before, Michael? No. Yeah. No, never. Yeah. And those are this, as you said, this, that, and that also did happen, that the British Empire did break up after the Second World War. So that, that was achieved. Yes, yes. And as you what? say, probably is to yeah. is to break the um, the white. What to say? Our the colonial, all the white colonial in in Africa, and then towards to, yeah. for the Rothschild to take full control of it. That's right. And now that I'm thinking of it, because it was at the very end of World War II that the Rothschilds began. Uh, oh, what was the agreement called? Uh, the there was the financial agreement after before World War II even ended to make the Federal Reserve note, the reserve currency, and uh, the Bretton Woods Agreement. And in addition to that, the the Rothschilds simply moved their operations from Britain to America so that they didn't need Britain anymore. And so they're allowing Britain to die, right? And uh, the prophecy of 2nd Esdras said, that one of the three major powers in the end times, which are Russia, uh, America, and Britain, one of the three powers would die in its own bed. And that has to be Britain. And so that was the Rothschild plan. So they, they had used the British people up for all they're worth, and now they're using the American people up for all we're worth. And so the one fly in the ointment for the Rothschilds is they have not been able to destroy the Second Amendment and if they want to control America 100%, they have to make war on the American people and get rid of our guns. That's the only possibility, and I don't see that happening. But let's continue. So add a, add a few pages later, quote, I have, <clears throat> I have tried to make it clear to Winston and the others that they must never get the idea that we are in, in it just to help them hang on to the archaic and medieval empire idea. No, we have a new empire idea, right? Which is squeezing the American people for all we're worth 
for the new Rothschild plans. Those who sup with the devil need a long spoon, Mr. Churchill. <laughs> the self-styled, quote, constant architect of the Jews' future now found himself playing second fiddle to an even more trusted architect. So eminent, in fact, that he did not make any silly pretensions of respect for the British Empire. The earlier Moses, Karl Marx, had denounced the empire long ago. And in the year 1941, it was only foolish opponents of Judaism and Marxism, like Herr Hitler, who were anxious to stand by that empire because they recognized it as a bulwark of Christian civilization, at least from the outside, right? But those who are savvy know that the British Empire had been controlled by the Jews since the creation of the Bank of England. Nothing good can come from the British Empire with the Bank of England in control. Right, right, Michael? How could anything good happen You know, when that's the case? No, it's impossible. That's yeah. Because they are the one that rules that empire and, and all our nations. Uh, no, no, I think no nation is free from them. That's right. There's a few. That yeah. is, uh, you can never get expect something good out of them because right. they do everything out of profit and to to uh, put forward their ends, and that is of course to try to try to eradicate us because that's probably yeah. their, that's their final plan. Yeah. Okay. I'll take this paragraph because it bleeds into the next page. We're on page fifty-six of the Nameless War, and the link is in the chat room. So here we go. Although, as we have seen, Mr. Churchill is shown in this book as getting a little petulant from time to time over the president's pronouncements regarding the liquidation of the empire, this did not prevent him from announcing himself later to the House of Commons as, quote, Roosevelt's ardent lieutenant, unquote. Do you think, Michael, that Mr. Churchill got word from the Rothschilds, hey, this is the plan, don't don't argue against it. Okay. Yeah. Some of their, 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 what to say, agents he had. I don't know. So he, someone that maybe whispered something in his ear or something. Right. So, so Churchill fought World War II under the impression that the British Empire will survive intact and be stronger than ever. That's what he yeah, but believed. That was a lie. Yeah, of course. Of course, but they they couldn't reveal to Churchill that uh, Britain the Britain would be under undermined that the carpet uh, would be pulled the rug would be pulled out from the British Empire after World War II. They couldn't allow Churchill to know that. All right, so this is incredible information, folks. Uh, you won't get this uh, unless you read this book by Churchill's son. You would not know of this because this is not commonly you know uh, promoted information. So. So, so Churchill actually said that he, before the House of Commons, that he was Roosevelt's ardent lieutenant, unquote. Under what special circumstances the king's prime minister could be an ardent lieutenant of a Republican president? Well, he, no, he wasn't a Republican. He was a Democrat <laughs> whose design it was to destroy that monarch's empire. Mr. Churchill did not explain, nor has he yet done so. On another occasion, Mr. Churchill made an equally cryptic remark, quote, It is no part of my duties, unquote, he assured the House of Commons, to preside over the liquidation of the British Empire. So, what would the House of Commons think of that? Yet, he also said, 
that he was Roosevelt's ardent lieutenant. Well, that means he had to would have to step aside, right? Yeah, but if he would have said that, uh, the liquidation of the British Empire, they would be up in flames. That's right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So he had to be pretend that he would have no part in it. Well, he probably didn't have any part in it from their point on. There was nothing he could do about it because the Rothschilds had spoken. All right, I'll take this last paragraph because it's the last paragraph in the chapter, and you pick it up in the next chapter. So, and uh, Archibald Ramsay says, No, indeed, nor was it any part of his duties on being told that it was to be liquidated, to pronounce himself to be the ardent lieutenant of the would-be liquidator. Nor, we might add, when Minister of Defense, with admiralty and other codes at his disposal, was it any part of his duties as Mr. Chamberlain's lieutenant, albeit not very ardent, to conduct a personal correspondence of the nature which he did conduct with President Roosevelt by means of the top-secret code of the American Foreign Office. So who knows what uh, was being exchanged by that means. Basically, Churchill was being given orders by Roosevelt. All right. Okay, chapter 10. Over to you, Michael. Yeah, thank you. So this is President Roosevelt's role. In my statement to the Speaker and members of the House of Commons concerning my detention, see Appendix 1, I sum it up uh, at the end of Part 1, the uh, considerations which led me to uh, inspect the secret U.S. Embassy papers at Mr. Tyler Kent's flat in the last weeks of Mr. Chamberlain's uh, premiership. The first two of these six considerations were as follows. One, together with many members of both House of Parliament, I was fully aware that among the agencies both here and abroad, which had been actively engaged in promoting bad feelings between Great Britain and Germany, organized jury, by obvious reasons, had played a leading role. Yeah, they had the strings. Two, I know the USA to be an be the headquarter of jury, and therefore the real though, thought, not the parent, center of their activities. Yes, as we said, as a result of the Bretton Woods Agreement and making the Federal Reserve Bank the new World Bank with the Bank of England uh, more focused on Britain, still they still manipulate the British people to the last degree. But uh, they knew that America was such a wealthy country that they had to start exploiting America's wealth and set up operations here. All right, back to you. Um, It was not until 1948 that um, corroborative evidence of the foregoing from uh, unimpeachable American um, sources came into my hands. But when it did come, however... The authentic and fully documented character uh, of the work left nothing to be desired. I refer to the book by Professor Charles uh, Baird, entitled President Roosevelt and the Coming of the War 1941, which was published uh, by the Yale University Press in April 1948. Wow. Okay. This book, which come with all the authority uh, of its um, eminent author, is nothing less than a tremendous indictment of President Roosevelt on three main issues. Okay, so I'll pick it up on page 59. Firstly, that he got himself elected on the strength of repeated promises to the effect that he would keep the USA out of any European war. Wilson made the exactly same promise, but he still, both of them, stabbed the American people in the back. 
Secondly, that he incessantly and flagrantly disregarded not only his promises to the American people, but all the laws of neutrality. Roosevelt, I mean, Wilson did the same thing also. Thirdly, that at a predetermined moment, he deliberately converted this Cold War, which he had been conducting into a shooting war, by sending the Japanese an ultimatum, which no one could imagine could result in anything but immediate war. From many instances given relating to the first issue, I quote one, quote, At Boston on October 30th, 1940, he, FDR, was even more emphatic, for there he declared, quote, I have said this before, but I shall say it again and again and again. Your boys are not going to be sent into any foreign wars. He'll say it again and again and, and, until he changes his mind. And on December 29th, quote, You can therefore nail any talk about sending armies to Europe as a deliberate untruth. But, of course, the right-wingers in America smelled a rat, <laughs> and, and that rat was named Roosevelt. Professor Beard goes on to prove that while Mr. Roosevelt was making these speeches, he was treating international laws of neutrality with total disregard, and in the interests only of those who were fighting the Jews' battles. The two main forms of non-shooting intervention were the convoy convoying, of U.S. ships of ammunition and supplies for the Allies and the Lend-Lease Act. Yeah, Lend-Lease Act may empowered the Soviet Union. We gave them everything they needed. Whatever be our sentiments in appreciating the help of the U.S. arsenals and Navy under these two Cold War decisions by, of Mr. Roosevelt, no one can pretend that they were either in accordance with his pledges to the American people or the fundamentals of international law regarding neutrality. Some very plain speaking went on in Congress over these acts of the presidents. Representative Hugh Burdick of North Dakota said, quote, All our aid to Britain may mean anything. To sell her supplies is one thing. To sell her supplies and convoy them is another thing. To have actual war is the last thing. The last thing is inevitable from the first thing, unquote. Representative Hugh Patterson of Georgia said, quote, it is a measure of aggressive war, unquote. Finally, Representative Dewey Short of Missouri said, and I'll turn it over to you. Um, quote, uh, and why I just want to remark, remark up here also. It was okay. convoys they're referring to. This is exactly what they're doing now in Ukraine. They're uh, getting weapons. It's the same. It's the same modus they're doing now. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and we know that Ukraine is a Jewish-run country ever since 2014, and probably even before. And so it's totally run by the Rothschilds. Totally run by the Rothschilds. And whatever you know, legitimate reason Putin had for invading Ukraine, to me, uh, was a mistake. Uh, he, because he, he gave NATO by invading a, a, a legitimate reason or excuse, put it that way, to escalate the war, and that's what we're seeing now. Back to you. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay, yeah. now I do the quote. Um, quote: You cannot be halfway in a war and halfway out of a war. You can dress these measures up in all your your and all your please. Land lease. You can sprinkle it with perfume and pour powder on it, but it is still f foul and stinks to high heaven. Amen. 
Yeah, exactly as in Ukraine. Yes. Representative Philip Bennett of Missouri declared, quote, This conclusion is inescapable, that the president is reconciled uh, to active military intervention if such intervention is needed to defeat the Axis in this war. But our boys are not going to be sent abroad, says the president. Nonsense, Mr. Chairman. Even now, their uh, berth are being built in our transport ships. Even now, the tags for identifications of the dead and wounded are being imprinted by the firm of William C. Uh, Balainson and Company of Washington, end quote. By the way, when I was in Vietnam, uh, one of my last tasks before leaving was uh, I was given the assignment to print out the dog tags, you know, their metal. So it basically, it's a typewriter that prints out dog tags with the names of the soldiers on them. And that was my last assignment before leaving the military. And I'm sure some of these dog tags went to identify the dead bodies of American soldiers. Back to you. Yeah. Uh, Professor Bird proves the third point at great length, showing how at the appropriate moment President Roosevelt forced the Japanese into war by an ultimatum demanding instant compliance with terms, which could never have been accepted by any country. Um, quote, the memorandum which uh, Senator Hall, uh, with the approval of President Roosevelt, handed uh, to Japan on 26th of November 1941, amounted uh, to the maximum uh, terms of an American policy for the whole uh, Orient, end quote. Writes Professor uh, Bird and goes on to say, quote, it requires no profound knowledge of Japanese history, um, institutions, and psychological uh, psychology uh, to warrant first that no Japanese cabinet, uh, liberal or reactionary, uh, uh, could have accepted the provisions. End quote. Yeah, it was a, an insult to the Japanese people, and uh, you know, you're telling us you're going to cut off all our supplies and expect us to accept that, <laughs> right? Whoa. Okay. Yeah. And again later, quote, the Japanese agents regarded the American memorandum as a kind of ultimatum. This uh, much, at least, Secretary Hall knew on November the 26th, end quote. Thus, was the period of maximum intervention short um, of a shooting war terminated and a safe face forged for Roosevelt to ship U.S. boys overseas without apparently breaking the spirit of his uh, many promises. As the war proceeded, the real policy and sympathies of the president became more and more apparent. His deception uh, of the British and their allies was no less flagrant than uh, his deception of the American people. Uh, as Professor Byrd points out on page 576, quote, the noble principles of the four uh, freedoms and the Atlantic uh, Charter were for uh, practical purposes discarded with the settlement, which accompanied the progress and followed the conclusion of the war. To the validity of this statement, the treatment of the people of Estonia, Lithuania, Poland, Romania, Yugoslavia, China, Indochina, Indonesia, Italy, Germany, and other places of the earth bear witness. End of quote. Okay. Some great driving force was clearly at work to induce the President of the United States so to act. Shall we say that driving force was the Edomite Jews? 
We have seen from a previous chapter that it was not the preservation of the British Empire, nor the French Empire, nor the Dutch that swayed the president. On the contrary, he had advised his ardent lieutenant, Mr. Churchill, at an early stage in the Cold War, that these must be liquidated. It was not Europe, nor the countries of Europe, nor their liberties, nor their rights under the Atlantic Charter of of Four Freedoms, which weighed with him. We know now that the British and American armies were actually halted by General Ike Eisenhower under Mr. Roosevelt's rulings at the Yalta Conference, so that the Red Army of Jewish Bolshevism might overflow half of Europe and occupy Berlin. Okay, Michael, do you see how this is being orchestrated? And in addition, are you there, Michael? Oh, sorry, I yeah. was muted. <laughs> All right. And yeah, yeah. You see this, as you say, as I said in the beginning, this great driving force that that wants to orchestrate the uh, how, yeah, to at least first get into get in into the war, of course, and then. Uh, um, here also to said this that uh, this whole thing that General Ike Eisenhower did so it's very everything is very is orchestrated and yes. that made as, as as I said also that the Red Army could take over Berlin. Now we ha- we cannot ignore the fact that since World War One failed to achieve the Zionist desire to establish a Jewish state in Palestine, right? that they had to have a second world war in order to accomplish that fact. And in order to accomplish that, they had to have a United Nations which could uh, thump its chest as a force for world peace, when in reality, the only purpose of the United Nations organization is to create a one-world government, just as they tried to do with the League of Nations after World War One, right? So, and then they had to accomplish the, the Jewish state. So those two things still remain to be accomplished, and they had to have this Cold War in order to achieve it. Okay? So that was the plan, and whatever the British wanted you know, would be thrown out. The As a matter of fact, the, the British people and British politicians were, again, exploited and mer- mercilessly used by the Jews in establishing the state of Palestine. The whole British mandate was uh, foisted upon the British people and the British government, and the Jews in Palestine were murdering British politicians and British envoys and ambassadors to force the British out after the British were used for all they were worth in establishing the Palestinian Jewish state. Right? That's... That's what this is all about. I don't know if uh, if uh, Archibald is going to Ramsey is going to talk about that. We'll find out. Okay, where was I? <laughs> where were we? <laughs> right. Okay. So yeah, yeah okay. Uh, that uh, oh, the, I think the the oh yeah, I, I, Eisenhower under Mr. Roosevelt's rulings at the Alta Conference, so that the Red Army of Jewish Bolshevism might overflow half of Europe and occupy Berlin. Continuing to quote again from Professor Beard, quote, 
as a consequence of the war called necessary to overthrow Hitler's despotism, another despotism was raised to a higher pitch of power, unquote. In conclusion, Professor Beard condenses the many indictments of the president set forth in his book into 12 major counts. He declares, quote, If these precedents are to stand unimpeached and to provide sanctions for the continued conduct of American affairs, the Constitution may be nullified by the president and officers who have taken the oath and are under moral obligation to uphold it. For limited government under supreme law, they may substitute personal and arbitrary government, the first principle of the totalitarian system against which it has been alleged that World War II was waged, yeah, to take over and overthrow the American Constitution and replace it with what? The United Nations Charter, folks. While giving, yes. Yeah, while giving lip service to the principle of constitutional government. You have a comment there? No, but, as you say, this, they say they want to, uh, they want to against the totalitarian system against uh, Hitler Germany, but it is the opposite. They, they, this was a way for them to, um, to further their their needs, their plans to instigate this, as you say, one world government under the UN and their charter. Yes, yes. So the Jews realized that Germany would be a a non-factor militarily after World War Two. And they could use the Holocaust to manipulate the German people from that point forward. And so Germany would no longer be a factor, according to their reasoning. And they needed the Holocaust uh, propaganda to set the Jewish people up in Palestine. Right? They needed that. Okay. Yeah. So one more paragraph here. When we reflect upon the astounding contents of Professor Beard's book and consider them in conjunction with the revelations in in Colonel Roosevelt's As He Saw It, the question arises, whom and which interest did President Roosevelt not betray? Yeah, he betrayed everybody except the Jews. To this query, I can only see one answer, namely those people and their interests who planned from the start the use of the United States arsenals and forces to prosecute a war which would annihilate a Europe which had freed itself from Jewish gold and revolutionary control. People who planned to dissolve the British Empire, to forge chains of unrepayable debt, wherewith to coerce Britain to this end and to enable the Soviets to bestride Europe like a colossus. In other words, international Jewry. Okay, there's a footnote here. These very words were used by General Smuts, who added words to the effect that he welcomed such a prospect. It should be remembered that General Smuts was formerly chief legal advisor to the Zionist organization in South Africa. Wow. Next chapter, over to you, Michael. Thank you. So, Regulation 18B. On the 23rd May 1940, within the first... uh, uh, fortnight uh, of Mr. Churchill's uh, premiership. Many hundreds of British subjects, a large population of them, um, ex-servicemen, were suddenly arrested and thrown into prison under Regulation 18B. For some days, the entire press had been uh, conducting a whirlwind campaign in rising uh, crescendo against a supposed fifth column in this country, 
which was declared to be waiting to assist the Germans when they landed. How untrue this campaign was. It's proven by the fact that our most uh, competent intelligence service never produced the um, uh, flimsiest evidence of any such conspiracy, nor evidence of any plan or order relating uh, to it, uh, nor the complicity in such an undertaking of any single man arrested. Had such evidence been forthcoming, those implications would undoubtedly have been um, charged and tried, and very properly so. But there was not one case of a man arrested on the 18B being a British subject who was so charged. Um, four charges were actually framed against one lady, the wife of a distinguished admiral, Mr. Nicholson. Um, she was tried by a judge and jury and um, acquainted on all counts. This, however, did not uh, prevent her being arrested as um, she ah. left the uh, law courts. Acquainted and being thrown into a Holloway prison under Regulation 18B, where she remained for years. Wow. Regulation 18B was only introduced to deal with a certain member of the IRA, who were uh, committing a number of um, senseless minor outrages in London. Without these regulations, no league of His Majesty in the United Kingdom could be arrested and held in prison on uh, suspicion. Uh, this practice had long been uh, abandoned in this country, except um, in short periods of uh, grave proven conspiracy. And on the, uh, those occasions, habeas corpus was always suspended. Very good. So this Regulation 18B, which is something we Americans would never have heard of, right, without uh, Ramsey uh, informing us of it, 18B enabled the medieval process of arrest and imprisonment on suspicion to be revived without the suspension of habeas corpus. It was, in fact, a return to the system of letters de cachet by which persons in pre-revolutionary France were consigned to the Bastille. Here, it should be remembered that those persons enjoyed full social intercourse with their families and were allowed their own servants, plate, linen, food, and drink whilst in prison. Man, that's a rough prison sentence, folks. <laughs> so, I mean, it makes this whole Bastille Day nonsense that the left celebrates every year a mockery because these people had it uh, so good that it was like, well, they just moved in with everything, with even their servants, right? So, you know, and of course, the king of France is accused of being such a tyrant because of the, the prisoners in, in the Bastille. But as I understand it, Michael, there were only 16 prisoners in the Bastille when the revolution broke out. So, I mean, they hype it to the, to the heavens that this was such a great outrage of the, of the King of France, you know, having these prisoners in the Bastille. And a lot of them were there legitimately because, in some cases, their families even ha- had put them there for observation because they were so unruly, right? So all of this hype about the, the Bastille by the left is just total nonsense, absolute nonsense. But let's continue. Here it should be remembered that those persons enjoy, okay, full social intercourse with their families, etc., etc., including plate, linen, food, and drink while in prison. A very different treatment to that meted out to persons held under 18B, whose treatment for some time was little different from ordinary criminals. 
and in fact worse than any remand prisoner. These IRA outrages were so fatuous in themselves and so apparently meaningless at a time when there were no sharp differences between this country and the Irish Free State that I commenced making a number of inquiries. I was not surprised to discover at length that special members of the IRA had been enrolled for the committing of these outrages. Ah, you mean a staged act of terrorism, Michael? Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen. Yeah. That, that, that that never happens, does it? A staged <laughs> well, act of right now. You uh, now in Sweden, you haven't had a lot of that, I presume, right? No, it has been pretty. I would say because uh, yeah, you are in America. I believe is the target. That is the target yes. for this. So yeah. that's why U.S. had a lot of those kind of stuff in America to get you yeah. into under under yeah to get rid of your constitution to get rid of your of course your guns so they can start uh, doing the thing. But that's why they haven't started all over Europe yet because yeah. it's still you you have the guns. If if you would realize what's done here, then then you probably keep your guns even harder. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, the reason why America is constantly, you know, uh, befuddled with all of these so-called terrorist events is because they're staged by the international Jew. And they blame us, the white nationalists and Christian identity, unrelentingly for these uh, events. Uh, uh, January 6, 2021? Hello? That was a staged event. To be blamed on what? White Republicans. And Biden says any who, anybody who voted for Trump is a white racist and a terrorist, right? This is what we're told. Folks, if you don't get it yet, America is being set up to take a fall, but they won't be able to do it without military intervention. So good luck with that. Let's continue. So let me start this because this is very important. The IRA was full of agents, Jewish agents, enrolled for committing terrorist outrages to be blamed on whomever, Catholics, I think, in this case. I was not surprised to discover at length that special members of the IRA had been enrolled for the committing of these outrages, and that they were practically all communists. I had it on excellent authority that the Left Book Club of Dublin had been actively concerned in the matter, and finally the names of 22 of these men were put into my hands. And again, I was informed on excellent authority that they were all communists. Immediately on receipt of this information, I put down a question to the Home Secretary and offered to supply the necessary information if the matter were taken up. Nothing came of my representations. From these communist-inspired outrages, however, there resulted Regulation 18b. Though the IRA were pleaded as an excuse to the House for a regulation, hardly any of their members were ever arrested under it. But in due course, it, 80, uh, there's a footnote, I guess, was it, that is, this regulation, for uh, 18b regulation, was employed to arrest and hold for five, four or five years, uncharged, very many hundreds of British subjects, whose one common denominator was that they opposed the Jewish power over this country in general, and its exertion to thrust her into a war in purely Jewish interests in particular. Wow, this book is so fantastic. Every American should read it. 
Let's continue here. I myself was arrested under this regulation. Uh, oh, wait a minute. I, I, I skipped the I think the you jumped. Now yeah. communism is a Jewish control. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, for some reason I got into uh, the next. Why don't you pick it up? I, I totally lost my place. Okay. Now communism is Jewish controlled. If Marxist Jewry uh, needed a device for securing the asset of parliament to a regulation like 18B, what simpler method could there uh, be to uh, achieve this object without arousing suspicions as to the real uh, ulterior motive than arranging for a few communist members of the IRA to plant bombs in the uh, cloakrooms of London stations? Um, huh. Everyone is uh, supposed to be entitled to their opinion in this country. And furthermore, we, are, we cannot um, supply absolute proof. We can say with, a, with home security, as I do here, that I have reasonable cause to believe that this is the real story behind Regulation 18B enactment. Okay. When the clause was first introduced into the house, the renal wording laid it down quite clearly um, that the Home Secretary should have the power to detain persons of British birth and origin. If he was satisfied that such detention was necessary, this terminology was at least quite so clear. No other opinion or uh, check upon the Home Secretary personnel and absolute um, discretion was um, an Investigated. A return, in fact, in and in various essence to the Letres uh, de Carte and the Stark Chamber. Uh, the House of Commons refused absolutely to accept such a cause or hand away its power of um, supervision and the responsibility as the guardian of the rights and liber uh, liberties of the citizen uh, to any individual, uh, be, um, be he cabinet minister or not. Uh, the government uh, accordingly had to withdraw the offending sentence and brought forward a second draft for approval some days later. In this new draft, drawn up as a government spokesman, labor to explain it uh, in accordance uh, with the express wishes of the House, the necessary safeguard from arbitrary ex executive tyranny had been introduced. Okay, so anyway, they had to re re rescind the language and make a, a softer uh, argument, but you, where Jews are involved, it doesn't matter. Their word is worth nothing. So whatever promises they give, you you can expect them to be, you know, overturned in in private. Back to you. Yeah, they they expect everybody else to honor the deals, but they don't honor them. That's right. Um, for the words, whom secretary is satisfied that had been uh, substituted. Uh, has reasonable cause to believe that the government spokesman explained at length on this occasion that this um, wording gave the required safeguard. Member of Parliament were led to believe that their wishes had prevailed and that they were to be judged. Uh -huh. um, what would uh, not be reasonable cause for uh, continued detention, as was proven in subsequent debates, and that rather uneasy House passed a uh, cl uh, clause in um, this form and on that understanding. Two years later, when the uh, counsel of an 18B prisoner argued in, in court along these lines and demanded uh, some sort of ventilations of uh, his uh, client's case before members of parliament uh, or a court, no less a person that the attorney general um, himself plead on the government's behalf that the words 
um, quote, has reasonable cause to believe that, end quote, meant precisely the same as, quote, <laughs> is satisfied that, end quote. These are uh, these the matters had to rest as far as the lower courts were uh, concerned, though it was the subject of the most um, scanching comment of the most eminent law lord. I myself was arrested under these regulations on 23rd May 1940 and thrown into Brixton Prison, uh, where I remained in a call until 26th of September 1944, without any charge being uh, huh. preferred against me, receiving uh, merely a, a, a curt notifications from the Home Office on the latter day date that the order uh, for my detention had been revoked. A paper of a particular allegiance as the reasons for my detention was supplied um, to me soon after my arrest. Okay, so a paper of particulars alleged as the reasons for my detention was supplied to me soon after my arrest. So he had no idea what he was being charged with until after he was arrested. So they made sure to arrest him before he could get out of, doubt, out of dodge, right? Okay, might as well finish the chapter. There's only one paragraph left. And I'll take up the next chapter. Okay. Uh, I replied to them during a day's um, in integration uh, by the so-called advisory committee, before which body I could call no witnesses, did not know who were my accusers or the accusations they had made. And I think the accuser was the Rothschild. Uh, there you go. And was not allowed uh, the assistance of a lawyer. These particular, uh, particulars, together with my uh, detailed reply to each, were set out in part two of the statement. One uh, supplied a letter to oh, the I, speaker. I supplied. And, the statement I supplied. Uh -huh. Oh, yes. statement yeah. <laughs> I supplied a letter to the speaker and member of the House of Commons and will be found in the appendix of this book. They were based upon the untrue assertions that my anti-communist attitude was bogus and a cloak for disloyal activities. How untrue this slander was can be easily proved uh, from my previous 10 years, record of unceasing um, attacks on communism, both by quest questions and speeches in the House of Commons and outside. Okay, that's very interesting because, as we know, Winston Churchill was also an outspoken uh, uh, critic of communism. However... He was pro-Zionist, <laughs> right? So the Jews could use him for any purpose they want as long as he is either pro-Zionist or pro-communist. So anti-communist uh, statements of Churchill need not be regarded seriously, okay? He, he published uh, a work in the Illustrated Sunday Herald, I believe it was 1922, in which he said very plainly that communism was a movement of Bolshevik Jews. But he anticipated that Zionism would solve the problem of communism. Uh, folks, either he's totally deluded or he was simply, you know, being, uh, you know, uh, a liar to, to assuage the British people on his opinion of communism, right? Something like that. Anyway. Chapter 12, Who Dares? On the morning following my release from Brixton Prison, I proceeded to the House of Commons at my usual hour of 10.15 a.m., an action which appeared to cause no little surprise. It was not long before Jews and their friends were on my trail, and that of the Wright Club, 
A string of provocative questions soon appeared on the order paper. But like Gallio, who when the Jews took Sosthenes and beat him before the judgment seat, cared for none of these things, I gave no sign of interest. So I'm not sure what Sosthenes means here, uh, an obscure historical uh, idea here. The reporters in the press galleries were then turned on to endeavor to extract from me some, at least, of the names in the Red Book of the Wright Club membership. Now, the names in the Red Book of members of the Wright Club were, as the newspapers have shrieked aloud, kept strictly private, with the sole object of preventing the names becoming known to the Jews. The sole reason for this privacy was the expressed wish of the members themselves. To me, personally, the keeping of the names secret was not only a disadvantage. It facilitated misrepresentation of every kind by my enemies. The publication of the names would have been of great assistance to me in every way. The sole reason for this stipulation on joining by so many members was the well-grounded fear of the Jewish retaliation of a serious nature. Absolutely. And that's why the Ku Klux Klan and other right-wing groups in America do not publish the names of their members. Right? For the exact same reason. Back to you, page 68. Yeah, exactly. Because otherwise they would... Same in our, I guess, our movement too. The same. You would be persecuted. Absolutely. They'd be summarily arrested with false accusations and their lives would be ruined. Back to you. Yes, and also, but we also know that Yahweh said in both, I think it's in in Psalms and also I think it's in Chronicles, um, that touch not, not my anointed one, do my prophets no harm. Yes. So he will protect us also. So Amen. For sure. Uh, I will continue. I remember in particular the conversation on the subject with one of these reporters from the press gallery of the House of Commons. He was an engaging young man, and particularly importune. Would I, I not let him have just a few of the names? Supposing, I said to him, your name had been amongst those in the Red Book, and uh, supposing that in disregard of my promise to you not to reveal it, uh, I proceeded to uh, communicate it to the press and supplied definite evidence that you were a member of a society to fight against Jewish dominations over Britain. You would not keep your job uh, with your paper for six months. Okay, so they had a new <laughs> book where they wrote up all their enemies. Uh-huh. Uh, I shouldn't keep it for six minutes, was uh, the prompt reply. Quote, exactly, end quote. I answered, quote, now, um, you can see why I can't give you the name of even one member of the right club from the Red Book, end quote. You, you yourself um, confirm their worst fears. Yes. Uh, many hundreds of poor fellows find themselves in such a position today. Indeed, hundreds of merely a matter of um, expressions. The real number must be uh, prodigious. How many, one might ask, can afford to run the risk to their livelihood, which is involved in letting it be known that they were are aware of the Jewish grip and prepared to oppose it. Even the wealthiest and most influential magnates of the land dare not brave the wrath of organized jury, as the story regarded the Daily Mail, controlling shares on page 6 and 7 of my statement to the speaker shows. See Appendix 1. 
Not only in Britain uh, has this been the case, but perhaps even more not- noticeably uh, in the USA, as a uh, diarist of the la- uh, la- late Mr. James uh, Forstall proved. The Forstall Diaries, published by the Viking Press in New York, 1951, only reached me as this book goes to press, coming from a man of high in- integrity who was U.S. Navy Undersecretary from 1940 and Secretary for Defense from uh, 1947 until this resi- resignations and suspicious death a few days later in Mars, 1949. They are of a most unmost significance. The most important revelation therein is dated the 27th December, 1945. Pages 121 and 122. Uh, quote, Played golf today with Joe Kennedy, Joseph P. Kennedy, who was Roosevelt's ambassador to Great Britain in the year immediately before the war. I asked him, what about this um, uh, conversation with Roosevelt and Neville? Uh, Chamberlain from 1938 on. He said Chamberlain's positions in 1938 was uh, that England had nothing uh, with which to fight and uh, that she could not risk going to war with Hitler. Kennedy's view that Hitler would have fought Russia without any later conflict with England if it had not been um, for Bullets, William C. Bullets, then ambassador to France, urging the Roosevelt in the summer of 1939 that the Germans must be uh, faced down about Poland. Neither the French nor the British would have made Poland a cause of war if uh, it had not been for the constant uh, needing from Washington. Billet, he said, kept telling Roosevelt that the Germans wouldn't fight. Kennedy, that they would end, that they would overrun Europe. Chamberlain, he said, stated that America and the world Jews had forced England into the war. End of quote. Wow. <laughs> Chamberlain stated that. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Okay, uh, for those who aren't aware, the reason why Hitler and Germany attacked Poland was because of the Danzig Corridor, which was given to Poland by the uh, Versailles Treaty ripped away from the German people and given to Poland. This put many hundreds, uh, certainly thousands, of Germans under Polish control against their will. And before World War II, the Polish, probably at the instigation of the international Jew, were massacring these Germans. Uh, to a total of 30,000 ethnic Germans had been massacred in the Danzig Corridor by the Poles, probably at Jewish instigation, right, and Freemasonic free instigation. And Hitler demanded a stop to this, and the Poles refused. The Poles refused to stop murdering the Germans in the Danzig Corridor. And Hitler told them, if you don't stop doing this, we will attack. They, they refused to stop doing it, and so Hitler attacked. So this you know, Hitler had every right to protect the German people that were in danger in Poland, and very few history books talk about this. So let's continue. If Mr. Forstall's information regarding the impulses behind the recent war needed any confirmation, they have already had it from the outspoken statements of Mr. Oswald Pirro, former South African defense minister who told the Associated Press on the 14th January 1952 in Johannesburg that, quote, Chamberlain had told him that he was under great pressure from world Jewry not to accommodate Hitler, 
quote, a second most important revelation in the Forrestal Diaries concerns Zionism. It is clear from the entries that by December 1947, Mr. Forrestal was becoming greatly concerned by the intervention of the Zionists into American politics. He records conversations with Mr. Burns and Senator Vandenberg, Governor Dewey and others, in attempt, he was the governor of New York, in attempts to lift the Palestine question out of party politics. From this time on, he would seem to have made continuous efforts with that end in view. So he, he was trying to keep America out of the, uh, you know, the Palestine question, to, out of Zionist, the, the Zionist control of that area. The diary records on the 3rd February 1948, pages 362 and 363, quote, Visit today from Franklin D. Roosevelt, Jr., who came in with strong advocacy of a Jewish state in Palestine, that we should support the United Nations decision. I pointed out that the United Nations had as yet taken no decision, (laughs) that it was only a recommendation of the General Assembly, and that I thought the methods that had been used by people outside of the executive branch of the government to bring coercion and duress on other nations in the General Assembly bordered closely onto scandal. I said, excuse me, I said I was merely directing my efforts to lifting the question out of politics, that is, to have the two parties agree that they would not complete or compete for votes on this issue. He said this was impossible, that the nation was too far committed, and that, and that furthermore, the Democratic Party would be bound to lose, <laughs> and the Republicans gained by such an agreement. I said I was forced to repeat to him what I had said to Senator McGrath in response to the latter's observation that our failure to go along with the Zionists might lose the states of New York, Pennsylvania, and California. Okay, so we have to do what the Jews want, otherwise we might lose the election. That I thought it was about time that somebody should pay some consideration to whether we might not lose the United States, unquote. Well, you can see now uh, why Forrestal had to be assassinated, right? Yeah. And, and this is an element of our history which is totally swept under the rug. Both Forrestal and Joseph R. McCarthy were murdered by the Jews because they were, they were bringing up the Zionist question, the Jewish question in American politics. You cannot do that. Okay. No, so, exactly. Uh, Same yeah. with Patton. Patton was also murdered because of that. That is correct. All right. With about six minutes left, uh, go ahead and uh, take the rest of the uh, chapter here on yeah. page 70. Uh, after a short note, but the editor of the diaries, uh, the entry for the uh, 3rd uh, February 1948 continues, page 364. Quote Had lunch with Mr. B.M. Baruch after lunch. Raised the same question with him. He took the line of advising me not to be active in this particular matter, and that it was already identified uh, to a degree that was not in my own interest. Huh. Oppositions to the United Nations policy on Palestine. Oh, well, Palestine. Yeah. yeah. Let me repeat this because uh, this is Forrestal relating his meeting with B.M. Baruch that I was already identified. I, Forrestal, was already identified 
to a degree that was not in my own interest, veiled threat, with opposition to the United Nations policy on Palestine, unquote. Would, would you take this as a threat, Michael? That sounds like a threat, yeah. That's yeah, definitely a threat, folks. Back to you. That's a threat. Uh, it was about this time that the campaign of unparalleled slander and uh, um, calumny was launched in the United States press and periodicals against Mr. Forstall. So greatly did um, this appear to have affected him that in March 1949, he resided from the U.S. Defense Secretaryship and on the 22nd of that month, was found dead as a result huh. of a fall from a very high window. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Did he commit suicide or was he pushed? I think that, pushed, I think. yeah, that, I think that occurred at the uh, hospital, uh, the Navy hospital in Washington, D.C. I forget the, the name of that hospital. But Walter Reed, I think it was, Walter Reed Hospital. And uh, and the same fate was met by Joseph R. McCarthy in the same hospital. <laughs> they were they both fell from a high story window, right? So, folks, wow, what revelations are contained in this book? As I have said, uh, okay. So the next episode here is epilogue. We'll pick this up next time. And in the, in the meantime, folks. I highly recommend that you uh, share this book with everybody you know because this is the type of information which accuses the Jews of all of this skullduggery, beginning with the English Revolution in whatever year that was, the 1600s. This book documents how the Jews have staged all of these wars and revolutions from that moment forward, including our American Civil War, and every act of terrorism that has occurred on our, our shores, including 9-11, including 9-11, including the attack on the USS Liberty, and very every assassination on our shores of every president and political figure here in America. It must be The guilt must be laid on the doorstep of the international Jew. That includes Lincoln. It includes Southern politicians as well before the Civil War started. Any Southern politician who was against uh, the Civil War was also assassinated, usually by poison. And then we have Lincoln. Then we have, uh, oh, how many other? Uh, several other presidents in the 19th century were assassinated by the Jews. And then, of course, Huey B. Long, who was opposed to getting ready to run against Roosevelt, he was assassinated. Yeah, Hitler was right. <laughs> he, he, Huey B. Long was assassinated. Congressman Louis T. McFadden, who opposed the Federal Reserve Act, he was assassinated. I mean, one string of assassinations after another, but because the Jews control the mass media in America, nobody's aware of these things. Yes, and Patton was assassinated by the Jews as well because he he would have run against Ike the Kike <laughs> and would have easily defeated Ike the Kike in an election. And, so, uh, I, go ahead. I can also just point out he had in, in Sweden for some, now I, a number of years ago, called Estonia. It was a, a passenger ship that was sunk 
And that was um, that was also an act because on that ship you had 80 policemen that had realized the danger for Sweden and uh, overtaken it as happening. And then the, the, this ship was sunk called wow. Estonia. Wow. So this wow. also very, not very, but it's a bit similar also to this with Titanic, that you had the opposition to the Federal Reserve, and they, they was uh, given a trip on this uh, Titanic that was yeah. sunk later. Hey, we ha- we have a vacation for you. <laughs> yeah, just aboard this ship, you know. Uh, you'll love this vacation. And, of course, then the ship was sunk, right? This, yeah. is, this is incredible, folks. The treachery of the Jews against... The white civilized world is simply unbelievable. It's simply unbelievable. And the American people, if they knew of these things, might act, we hope they would, to throw the Jews out of our country once and for all. But that's probably too much to ask because our people are still enamored of Zionism, especially the Christian Zionists in the South. Folks, thanks for listening. We'll pick this story up next week with this incredible book, The Nameless War by Archibald Ramsey. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Michael. Thank you all. Take care. Yahweh bless and pull the scales off our eyes once and for all. Amen. Y'all bless you all. Thank you for today.